the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Real Life Radio is brought to you by Cloud Roofing and River City Community Church. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, a church that exists to help people find the real life they were created for. And that's according to John 10.10. And today we begin a new message in this series called Under Construction. And we start with Pastor Sean Azaro sharing a very intimate part of his history and future, a side you've never seen before. And this is Real Life Radio. Last Friday, my biological father uh, passed away, and uh, his name was Liam Clancy. And it was on Friday, Saturday morning. I made the quick decision to uh, to head out to Ireland and uh, be at the funeral service, which was on Monday. And I got back Friday night, late. Um, I didn't. Uh, I didn't grow up spending a lot of time. I didn't even know about. Liam being my father till I was 28. My parents had chosen not to tell me and their reasons behind that's probably another story for another time, but they did. And so when I was 28, I found out that my real father, my biological father was a man named Liam Clancy and, uh, come to find out he was a famous folk singer. Um, he traveled with a group called the Clancy brothers and Tommy Makem. And they were international celebrities in the 60s. They, through a series of just fortuitive events, they ended up being thrust on the national scene. And they were more than Irish folk singers, actually, if you study their history at all. They really kind of were the voice of an entire emerging nation at the time. And they just, to their telling of the story, ended up being at the right place at the right time. It was uh, interesting because when I found out, I'd played music my whole life. I found a guitar in my mother's closet when I was eight years old and had some chord charts in it and I got it and taught myself to play. By the time I, I found out that this man, Liam, was my father, uh, I had already recorded my first album. Um, I will tell you, I became a much bigger believer in the power of genetics and in the whole nature versus nurture debate, I kind of swung on the pendulum a little bit. It's hard when reality hits you in the face, you know what I'm saying? Um... And it was, you know, very interesting to find out that the very gifts I used to serve the Lord were gifts I inherited from a father I never knew. I didn't get to spend a lot of time, obviously, even since that point. We met on several occasions, and a couple years ago I had to spend some good time with he and the family in Ireland, and he had a pulmonary fibrosis and passed away. He was 74. Um, one thing that was interesting for me is that Friday when I heard he'd passed away, I was surprised by how it impacted me. Honestly, um, because I knew him, I'd spent some time, and but it wasn't like I was I had these great memories or experiences and I was experiencing a loss from that. It was probably, honestly, more the loss of opportunity. And I've talked to some folks who've had a similar experience of meeting and even losing a biological parent, and that's a common experience. It's the sense of 
should I have done more or wish there were more opportunity? And we had so much in common in so, so many different ways that there was all of that that was mixed in the process. But this last week I had a great time connecting with family and just the sad circumstances, but just brothers and sisters and getting to know them all better. And uh, the Lord was really, really in that time. The funeral was not like any I'd ever been to before. It was a huge affair at a large Catholic cathedral. And there were folks from the government who were there. There were folks from, there were celebrities. There were folk singers from all generations, poets, just this immense crowd of people who had been impacted by this man's life. They, for Ireland, really, the Clancy brothers were a they were more than just singers. They really told the story at a time when the nation was ready to have its story told. And so this was very much the passing of an era for, for them. For me, it was a whole different journey and experience. And obviously for my half-brothers and sisters, uh, it was even a different experience. I was asked to sing at the, at the funeral, which, you know, I mean, I'm like, you don't have any singers here? I think every other person is a singer. But... When you're the only minister in the crowd, you, they kind of get called up at times like that, you know. And everybody's Catholic. They're all Catholic. Half the family, I think, is devout. Half is is Catholic by history and tradition more and, and maybe not terribly religious. Liam found great humor in the fact that, you know, he had a son who was a minister. He had one son who was going wayward for a while. He called his prodigal son, and then he had his Protestant son, which, you know. That's very funny in Ireland. You really have to. And uh, so they asked me to sing a hymn. And what do you sing at a time like that? I was just reminded as I looked at that crowd of people of, of how life is just. I don't care who you are. It's temporary. And so I sang this. That morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. Hallelujah, by and by, I'll have thy way. When the shadows of this life have grown, I'll fly away. Like a bird from prison bars is flown.
people, some who knew him and had been impacted by his life personally, and some who who didn't but had just been impacted by his work, I was just amazed at the kind of the ripple effect of someone's life and how at some point, though I don't care who you are, I don't care how important you are, I don't care how significant what you did was, at some point your time here ends because it's temporary. And what's left was the people in that room. That's his legacy. That's the real investment. That's what is carried on. It's interesting. It's the only part that we get to keep. Everything else we leave behind. But what we invest in people lives on. And I just couldn't help in light of what we've been studying in Philippians and considering the power of investing in lives and recognizing the limitation of our human condition and the limitation of our own effort. Because at some point, all of us are going to reach the end and we won't be able to do anymore. It brings it all into perspective for us when we see what will be left are the people that we invest in, who they are, what they receive from us and what they carry on. And you're listening to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church. And we'd like to take a moment to mention that today's program is made possible by the generosity of our friends at Cloud Roofing and cloudroofing.com. If you'd like a free estimate on your roof for repair or replacement, their number is 210 210- 366-9484. Just make sure you thank them for having Real Life Radio on the air. And again, we say thank you to Cloud Roofing. Now let's take a short break in this message called The Power of Multiplication with this study in the book of Philippians. And we'll be right back. Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more, almost as though something is missing? Jesus made a simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life, real life. I talk to a lot of people, and many seem to feel they're settling for a whole lot less than real life. Hi, I'm Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church, and we are so convinced that we were made for something better, we call ourselves a church for real life. 
I'd like to invite you to join us on this journey to discover the life we were made for. We're located one half mile inside of 1604 on Redland Road and Jones Maltzberger. Sundays we meet at 8, 9.30, and 11.15 a.m. River City, New Braunfels meets at the McKenna Vent Center on San Antonio Street at 10.30 a.m. Together we enjoy great music, practical teaching, and ministries for all the kids. For more information, check us out on the web at reallife.org. We look forward to seeing you on the road to real life. This is real life. Welcome back, and we return to Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Real Life Radio. I can't help but be brought to, and I'm sure it was because of where I was at that time, what Paul was writing about in Philippians. You know, we're in this study, and in chapter 2, Paul talks about other people in the context of his ministry. Remember last time, we said God's gift of grace is the want to and the can do. I receive it by simply saying will do. And what we saw is that by the power of God's spirit, he wants to give us the desire and he wants to give us the power to do things that are righteous and that are amazing. Our response is simply to say yes. But we're going to see that there's something else that God provides Sometimes the scripture tells you what to do. We call it instruction. And we learn from the scripture's instruction. We take that very seriously. We see that as instructions and that are very personal and for each of us. Other times we simply observe what God's people did, what leaders did. And this is called example. We learn by instruction and example. And today we're going to see Paul doing something that I think is a powerful example for us. And I want us to hear that. Beginning in verse 19 of chapter 2, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. Note that little phrase. Paul's talking about something simply, sending one of his workers to the church. And notice his phrase, I hope in the Lord Jesus. Nothing in Paul's life was outside of the submission and surrender that he had to the Lord. I hope in the Lord Jesus. Everything that he did was underneath the umbrella of God's leadership and authority. James put it real well, I think, when he said, if one of you says you're going to go to this city and do business or that city and do business, he said, what you should instead say is, if the Lord wills, because our life is not our own. There is a sense where we are in God's hands. And Paul is modeling that when he says, I'd like to send Timothy to you in the Lord Jesus, the Lord willing by his grace and by his power. Verse 20, he says, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Do you see the connection he just made? When you take up and you are concerned about the interests of Jesus Christ, it will always lead you to be concerned about the interests of other people because that's what's close to his heart. Who did Jesus give his life for? He didn't give his life for just a cause. He didn't give his life just for some mission. He gave his life for his sheep, Jesus said. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, for people. Jesus loves people. And the closer we draw to him, the more his heart begins to beat within us. We will increase in our love for people. I get real nervous around Christians who say, oh, I love God. Oh, I love mankind, but I just don't like people. You ever kind of experience that? That's suspect at best. Because what happens is we, as we are drawn into intimacy with Jesus his values begin to kind of bleed. They leak onto us. And we begin to value the things that he values. And we begin to have a passion, a compassion for people. 
And that's what Jesus had a passion for. And Paul noted this in Timothy. He says, verse 22, but you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son with a father, he served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will continue soon. Proved himself as a son with a father, has served with me in the work of the gospel. Do you know what he's saying? He said, Timothy worked in the family business. That's what he's saying. He was so committed. He treated me like a father and he became to me a son. And there's a difference between the way a son works and the way an employee works. Because a son knows the family business. It's mine. Yeah, it's dad's, but it's mine. There's a different level of ownership. Timothy was not some hireling. He he embraced the mission of the gospel. And just like Paul, his spiritual father owned it. Timothy grabbed a hold of it and made it his. He served him as a son. He wasn't a slave. He was a son. Paul had met Timothy on an earlier journey, and he saw something unusual in this young man it was in acts chapter 16 i'm going to read a few verses one through four it's before paul actually went to philippi the first time it says he came to derba and then to lystra where a disciple named timothy lived his mother was a jewess and a believer but whose father was a greek the brothers at lystra and iconium spoke well of him paul wanted to take him along on the journey so he circumcised him because of the jews who lived in that area for they all knew that his father was greek as they traveled from town to town, they had de- delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Now, you have to understand, Timothy now began to travel with Paul, but Paul saw something unusual in this young man. And there's a really interesting lesson here for us. OK, you know, we talk about having Christian liberties. Paul did not need to, for salvation's sake, have Timothy circumcised. And this is not a baby. This is a grown man. Timothy took one for the team here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, I have to what? His father was Greek. He hadn't gone through that process. That was the the sign. That was the marking of God's people as separate to him, circumcision. And Paul had gone to great lengths in his teaching to say, no, Gentiles do not need to take that mark because salvation is not just for the Jews anymore. It's for all people because of Christ. Now there's a whole different way that salvation would happen. The continuation of the same, but it was now a different expression in the old customs, the ceremonial washings the rituals they didn't have to live by paul did not do have to do that to timothy but he did it because of the other jews among those that they were going to be ministering to and the mission was so important that they were going to remove any barriers talks a little bit about our liberties because we have liberties there are things that we are we are able to do we are free to do as followers of jesus but if you need to for the sake of the mission, for the sake of someone else, so that they can hear the message of the gospel through your life, so they can hear what God is saying, your story, your particular story of God. If you need to remove some of those liberties for a time, what Timothy would say is do it. Because I don't know that any of us have had to go through what Timothy had to go through in the course of our liberties and putting them aside. Timothy traveled extensively with Paul and was sent out as an evangelist on missions with Silas. He was left in charge in Ephesus when Paul had to leave for Macedonia. Paul trusted him. Paul thought highly of him. In fact, according to Hebrews, it it seems like Timothy may have suffered his own imprisonment, persecution for the sake of the gospel. This was a young man who truly loved Jesus, saw Paul as his mentor and leader, and followed Jesus with everything he had. Now, Paul goes on in verse 25 of Philippians 2, and he introduces another. We we saw him earlier in our study in chapter 1. But Paul mentions him again. I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, 
fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Verse 26, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Paul goes on, and for time's sake, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but he finishes the chapter talking about Epaphroditus and what a faithful man he is and how Paul looks forward to sending him back. Here, Paul has listed these two leaders who he is blessed by, grateful for, and hopes to send to these people so that they can receive what God has. See, Paul, the Apostle Paul, for all his amazing ministry, all God's grace in his life, the power of God through his life, Paul had seen people risen from the dead. Paul had seen people healed. Paul had seen demons cast out of people. This was a man of faith and power. But even Paul recognized he needed other people. He was limited in what he could do. Paul had a real serious physical limitation here. He was in prison. And so he knew he needed other people. And you know what? You and I have physical limitations too. I can only be in one place at one time. And one thing that God began to show us early in this ministry is if we were ever going to be effective, we'd have to learn to help other people grow up into the ministry of this fellowship. It's a whole, it's a whole idea. We can only be, you know, Paul had this physical limitation of being in prison. We have the physical limitation of just being able to be in one place at one time. I know some of you moms, maybe you've overcome that. I've seen moms who seem to be able to be three, four places at a time. Good for you. God bless you. I'm not there yet. Okay. Early in our ministry, I was, I was traveling and playing music and I never wanted that to be just, I never wanted to be kind of freelance, just out on my own. I always wanted to be ministering from a community. I fundamentally believe the Christian experience is supposed to be in community. I've told you before, I don't think you can have the father without the brothers and spirit, uh, brothers and sisters. That's the way it works. You gotta, you're gonna have the father, you gotta have the brothers and sisters. That's just the way family works. I think God designed this thing for us to walk and live in community together and to experience the fullness of life as we share together. And I wanted to live in that community. So I was traveling, but we had this small group of believers that ultimately became River City Community Church. It met in our house. And we had this little group and we'd pray together and we'd minister together. And I have to tell you, some of my fondest memories of ministry date back to that group. I was the leader of the group. But I was ministered to and fed by that group every bit as much as I ever did in the ministry or feeding of anybody. Seriously, the, the way we prayed for each other, the way we encouraged each other, the way we shared what the Lord was saying to one another. That's why we're such huge believers in small group ministry. That's why we live that. Because so much life for me was happening in that context and for the other people in that group. I don't see how you live without it. I don't see how you experience the fullness of what God has without community. But we would see people come to our little group. Even when we started meeting on Sunday mornings, they'd come and then they'd come to the group. And we'd see those folks be with us a while and then leave as the group had grown to a certain point. And I was leading. I was trying to meet people. We were trying to meet people. We discovered that, that you know what? One group isn't enough. We got to have more of these groups. And that was a hard process I had been, I had seen leadership modeled and I'd been in some churches where I saw leadership as the pastor's the man. Does the leadership, does the ministry, he's at the hospitals, he's at, he's at, does the funerals, he does the, the weddings, he's the pro. He's got staff to help and then people kind of support the work and they receive from the work. And when we were getting this started, we went through some training and the Lord really confronted me with my own leadership assumptions. 
And I had kind of been taught and I had adopted the model of a quarterback, okay? You know, I'll throw the ball, you catch my pass. That's how leadership worked, okay? I'm kind of the initiator and people are the responders. That's how it works, okay? Quarterback. And one thing the Lord showed me in those early days is if I were going to be effective, if we were going to be effective at what God wanted us to do, reaching lost people, helping hurting people experience the grace of God's presence, a lot on the line, it's in the game. If we were going to be successful at that, then I would have to switch my leadership style from that of a quarterback to a coach. Quarterback says, I'll throw the ball, you catch my pass. Coach says, yeah, I'm not even on the field. I'm going to help you on your field. I'm going to help you grow. I'm going to help you become what God wants you to be. I'm going to be there for you. It's about what God's doing in you and your mission field and your ministry. Totally different focus. I can't tell you how many times throughout the years I keep bumping into that, that old assumption. i got to stop back. Wait a minute. I need to be a coach here, not a quarterback. And those old habits die hard. It's called the principle of multiplication, and that's really what we're talking about, the power of multiplication. Addition is great. It's fine, but it's slow because it adds one at a time. Multiplication doesn't. It's much quicker. If I multiply and we have another leader, and now I'm leading a group and Willie's leading a group, and then we've got two groups. Then if we each raise up a new leader, and we multiply, now we've got four groups. And what that is is simply making room for people who need Jesus. It's not rocket science, folks. It's real simple, but it's fundamental. Making room for people who need Jesus. And we'll hear the conclusion to this message next week as you've been listening to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, where you're invited to visit. The church is located at the corner of Jones Maltzberger and Redland Road, just inside Loop 1604, with Sunday morning service times of 8, 9.30, and 11.15. And there's also a campus in New Braunfels that meets at 10.30. All the details and directions are at the website, reallife.org. And if you'd like to call the church, their number is 490-5262. As Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church and made possible by Cloud Roofing and cloudroofing.com. We hope you join us next time for more Real Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.